Good morning, good morning. Everybody good? Well, the, the thing that Pastor Didi just mentioned is that uh, our deepest and our most need actually is having healthy, wholesome relationships. And uh, that is so true because until we begin to understand love, then we can't function in, you know, in, in relationships. So the most uh, important and, 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 and the most, uh, I would say, um, vital thing that you can experience in your life obviously has to be the love of God. Because, you see, you need it so badly um, to have those healthy relationships that if you don't have the love of God, the only thing that you have left is to control and to manipulate people to be able to meet that need. So when we do that, unfortunately, we land up in uh, very destructive. And like he said, I mean, it really becomes the worst thing that you can be in. And that's where you get those quotes, I'd rather be alone all my life, you know, rather than be in an unhealthy relationship. Well, there's truth to that, yes. Um, because at least when you are alone, you can manage and you can um, spend time to, to experience, thank you so much, to experience uh, the love of God in your heart. Well, if you decide to pursue it, obviously. And um, unless you decide to stay a very selfish person, you know, and unfortunately, <laughs> when you stay very selfish, then uh, you begin to become a very lonely person. And that's the, the, the last thing that you want to be because you've been created in the image and the likeness of God. And, you know, you need to have relationships because God is an emotional, social, relation-oriented being. And so are you. So you need that. So we need to have these healthy relationships. And remember, healthy relationships only work from your heart. Either you're going to allow other people to control you or you're going to control others. There's no other way left. If you don't feel love in your heart, that's exactly what's happening, you know? And we want to get out of that rut, am I right? We want to get out of that type of lifestyle. We want to, we want to disengage ourselves from all of that because we want to experience this relationship that God is talking about that is uh, healthy and wholesome. Man, do you want to experience that? I do more and more in my life. So... To be able to do that, we've got to go back to the very fundamentals of the Christian life, and that is to understand what God has done for us. And um, there is no better book to go to and to understand that, and that is the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is, I would say, chapter uh, 53 and 54 the fulcrum of the entire Bible. It's the center where everything else is the matrix. In other words, if you understand Isaiah 53 and 54, and I don't just mean understand it, but take it to the level where you now 
begin to experience it in your heart. And let me tell you something, Isaiah 53 and 54 is a chapter that you will go back, not every year, almost every day of your life, for the rest of your life, to be able for, for, that, for those words to permeate you in such a way that in every area of your life, you will express that reality, what Jesus has done for you on your behalf. Isaiah 53 and 54 is, again I say, the matrix of your life. Every second you will, you will actually live from those chapters. It's what Jesus went and did for you. He went to the cross, as you know, and he is the one that took all of the old you and what that old you produces. And he took it to the cross. Not only did he take it to the cross, but he took it to the grave. And we know that's part of what we do with, that we call water baptism. And it's very important for me because people just leave it and say, well, it doesn't matter what someone gets baptized and, and dipped and goes underwater, dunked, but, uh, or, or, or they can be sprinkled. Well, let me tell you something. God the Father didn't sprinkle a bit of Jesus over you. He took you down and made sure that in Jesus you die to the bondage of who you were, to the bondage of your desires, to the bondage of your lust, to the bondage of your sin, to the bondage of your sickness, which probably a lot of people use sickness to be able um, to meet certain needs of being loved in their life. So Jesus made sure that that old person died. And you see, all of your life, what you're going to do is you're going to keep on experiencing within your own heart that death, dying to self. Every day, you're going to keep dying to self. Every day, you're going to keep repenting, changing your mind about how you experienced your life in the past. So that now, by leaving daily all of those aspects of the you that you knew before, that sense of self that you knew before, leaving it behind in the grave, but doing it at a heart level. It's already taken place positionally, technically, uh, legally, you know, everything has taken place. All you need to do after you experience your rebirth is daily just keep bringing it into your heart and making it a reality within you. That's what God once you, when we talk about discipleship, we are discipleship of Jesus. We're following daily his life. We're following, you know, his, his teaching. We're following just exactly like when he said, you know, I, when, when, when I see the Father doing, I'm doing exactly the same thing. So now we're looking at Jesus. You know, I remember reading that um, you know, years back. And I thought that Jesus must have had some kind of a spiritual telescope <laughs> that would be able to, oh, okay, you did this there. Okay, let me do this now. You know, and, and it's, it's nothing like that. It's just that Jesus went back and all he did, he studied his father's names. His mother told him, obviously, about that supernatural birth that he had. 
And, he, and she told him, listen, this is your daddy. Joseph is not your daddy, you know. He's the one that simply is taking care of you. This is your daddy. So he went back to what we're going to read now about Isaiah. He went back to those books in what we call the Old Testament, but it's actually, that is, that is a, a Catholic coined phrase to make sure that the Old Testament sounds to us you know, done away with and old and useless. No, those are the actual scriptures. Paul called them the scriptures. Peter, Jesus called them as it is quoted in the scriptures. Why do we call it the Old Testament? It's not the Old Testament, you know. Yes, there was an old covenant, but there's no Old Testament. Because a testament always tells you about the character of God. Don't tell me God's testament of his character has changed it's old and done away with no it hasn't it remains exactly the same and he never changes he is as he was in the past he's present like he says in, in hebrews just like jesus the same yesterday today and forever so god never changes so jesus obviously he went back and he started studying the names and then within those names, he started looking and how God worked with Moses and with Joshua. And he started looking at it. Then when he came to Isaiah, boom, there he finds himself. He realized what his mother was telling him. Well, here it is. It's testifying of me and what I'm supposed to be doing. Now, can you imagine what type of... Uh, um, not necessarily faith, but let's call it faith, lack of a, of, a, of a better word, it would have taken for someone to go back, because you've grown up, now your friends know you, you know, <laughs> your, your community knows you, and, and suddenly in your heart, you, you're reading those scriptures, and remember, you also, at, at the age of 12, you've been coming up, and uh, um, you've got a type of wisdom that you go into the Sanhedrin there, you go where the Pharisees were, and they were reading the Scriptures, and suddenly you are able to reveal Scripture, okay, from a very different perspective. What gave him that different perspective? When his mother told him that you have a different father. So when he accepted that reality, he started looking at the, at the Word from a different point of view, from, from a different perspective, you see? So that obviously would create new logic and give new wisdom. And when people heard it, they were astounded, the Bible says. So he started now to embrace that reality. And we know it took a long time to embrace it. Because by the age of 30, we come and we realize that that's when he now gets baptized to separate himself for the ministry that he was called to do. And the ministry was not only what we're going to read in Isaiah 53 and 54, but his ministry was also to be able to show us the Father continuously, okay? So when we want to go and, and we read any scripture, whether it's called the Old Testament or the New Testament, you always go back, even the New Testament, to the Gospels, and you filter everything through the teachings and you filter through everything the life of Jesus, the way he lived. I mean, I'm telling you, this is 
This is so important because you hear people talk and say, God put me through this, uh, you know, suffering. And then when he put me through the suffering, then he gave me, you know, uh, finally uh, the healing. But it took so many years. He, He wanted to teach me something. Okay, that sounds good, you know. But when we go to Jesus and we filter, did you see anybody that came to Jesus and said, well, I'm sorry, I can't heal you right now. There's a teaching. Go back, come back in a couple of years or two, three weeks. And after you've been taught something, I'll know when my timing. Did he ever say that? No. He said his timing is right now. If you ever need, my timing is now. I am willing. Every time they ask you, yes, I'm willing. Not only I'm willing, I'm able. Okay, so because uh, religion has twisted and, 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 made, and made suffering and pain, uh, you know, sort of a self-centered um, performance so that you can begin to get something out of it for yourself, well, we started now, uh, it started infiltrating and we started now experiencing and embracing the rea- those realities and taking those realities that, that we experience and, and started interpreting the word instead of the other way around. It's not my testimony that somehow interprets the word. No, it's the word that has to interpret my testimony. You see? So, um, if we do not understand what... I've just said now, then we go back to Isaiah 52. And Isaiah 52 says, we're all going to wail and we're going to cry and we're going to say, God, why isn't this thing working? Why have you made all those promises and I see my life is falling apart, you know? And in Isaiah 52, it says, because my leaders are the ones who've never given you the truth about who I am. He says, once you guys understand, and he says, my name, that's the key. Once you begin to understand my names, then you will start experiencing the abundant life within you. But because you don't know my names, they haven't been teaching you about my names. That unfortunately, you can't put your trust, you can't become immovable in something that you believe changes, like a name. One day, the name might be, I'm healing you. The next day is, I'm putting sickness and things on you, and therefore, you know, um, I can't depend on you. Because today, you know, you... You're putting sickness, tomorrow you want to be kind to me. So you can't be dependable. But remember, God never changes. Therefore, the names of God never change. And that's where you and I need to daily renew our minds. Hold on one second. What's happening to me today? This is happening. Who's allowing it? Is God allowing it or am I allowing it? See, that's the question I need to ask. Because if God is allowing it, then he has changed. Then he's not God anymore. Then he's a liar about his names. But it seems I'm allowing things to happen. 
And God is always the one who never changes his name. Now, I know this is challenging for all of us. That's not easy because it really hits the heart of who we are. And unfortunately, what happens is our minds want to protect our ego, that we always want to be right, you see? But you see, your heart, though, wants to protect your identity. So either we're going to follow our hearts or we're going to follow our minds. Our minds always protect what we call an illusionary you. It's just an illusion that you've created to protect. But your heart is the real you. Now, in Isaiah 53, when you go through it, you see first thing happens. That Jesus went to the cross, he died, and he took with him all of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your sin, all of that past you that you have created through the accumulation of your experiences in life. And then that self, throughout those experiences, you picked up specific events that you connected to, that were important to you, that you made an emotional connection to. And once you did that, it formed a sense of you. Now that you, that you form, started producing fruit in your life. And that fruit that it, it, it produced, it could be, uh, in some areas could be successful, in other areas it could be unsuccessful and you experience failures. Well, guess what happens? It keeps the cycle repeating continuously and it gets shorter and shorter. So if you used to have a failure every 10 years, as you grow older, you see drops down to seven years become the cycle, then five years, then two years. So Jesus saw that and he said, I'm going to come and take that from you, that sense of you that you've created to survive in your environment. I'm coming now and I'm taking that away. And not only that, I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to take that part of you that was alive. I'm going to die on the cross. And I want you to remember that any sins, past, present, and future. Now you say, how about why future? Remember, you never take decisions based on some external circumstances and your reaction to it. You take decisions based on your identity. Do you know that your decisions are predicted in the future? doesn't matter what environment you're going to get. It's predicted. But I thought I've got a choice. Well, in some way, yes, you do have a choice. But now, when you're in those bounds of your identity, then your identity predicts your future. So if your identity predicts the future, that means the decisions that you make in the past, you're definitely going to make in the future. 
So Jesus comes now. You see, we bring it down to real life here. Jesus comes and says, let me take that person. Don't hold on to it. That person is killing you. It's destroying you. Let me take this person and let me suffer the punishment. Let me suffer. Now, this is so important what I'm going to tell you now. Please grasp this. Go home. Think about it. Meditate on it. Every time you have committed or violated your conscience or sin, you're going to feel a sense of guilt and shame, but your conscience, listen to this, your conscience is going to ask for payments because your conscience is your judge, your jury, and your prosecutor. So I know, Jesus says, I know how I've made you. And I know how your conscience is going to function. It's going to demand a penalty. So what I'm going to come and do every time you violate your conscience, I want you to get confidence to move on in life. So what are you going to do? I want you to see that I've paid for that. So if your conscience sees that I paid for that, your conscience is going to release you. If it doesn't, if you don't go through the process to see that that has been punished, has been paid, your conscience is going to keep you locked up and is going to demand payment. And this is where 1 Corinthians chapter 11 comes in about communion. And that's why he says, I want you to partake and see that I have forgiven you and washed you and cleansed you and expungiate, expungiated this from your conscience. I want you to see that. Because he says, if you don't, your conscience is going to take you to places where it's going to affect, number one, it says, your emotional well-being. Then it's going to hit, he says, your health, and then it's going to kill you. What do you think cancer is? What do you think all of these stuff that are coming from? It's from your guilt. We daily are supposed to be partaking of his mercy. <laughs> but sometimes we're too proud to go there. We're too proud to partake of his mercy. He has called you and me to go and see, let the conscious see, this has been paid. Not only it's been paid in a sense of sickness, disease, but death. Not only death, this thing that is bothering me, he took it to hell. Where, it was, where, where this was supposed to take me. This guilt was supposed to take me there. And you know, when you get to hell, there's no way of getting out of there. 
Because you've entered with a mindset into eternity where there's no time, space, and matter. So how, how, how can you get out of there? There is no tomorrow. There's no sequence of time. So I'm stuck in eternity. Because in eternity, I see past, present, and future as now. Man, here's a guy I was reading. A guy called Dr. Um, Roy Hicks Sr., I mean, I'm talking about late 70s, early 80s. And he was explaining that the way God sees time, and that's where I understood eternity from this gentleman. He says that God, think about he's sitting on the throne, and then he says all around, he took it from the book of Ezekiel, wheels upon wheels, and he said, think about in front of him there is one wheel, and then another wheel on top and another wheel and another wheel and another wheel. And on the first wheel is Adam and Eve and creation. Second wheel, he sees, for example, the Tower of Babel and Abraham and Egypt, whatever. But he sees everything at the same time because it's in front of him. And then he says he sees Jesus dying on the cross, being raised. And then there is a wheel of your life that he sees. And then he said, what I'd like you to do, he says, come over and sit on this throne where God is sitting. Because actually that's where you are, sitting with him in heavenly places, with him. You're an heir and co-heir. And he says, watch all of those wheels of eternity. And you will understand what it means to be omnipresent. Now, let me tell you something. When you go into your heart and you start experiencing God, you will enter into the eternal now. I mean, that's a paradox, eh? The eternal now. In other words, because you're entering into this ever-present God, because remember, no limitations there. You're out of your body. So that means the sense of you has permeated, because you're in God, has permeated eternity and has permeated everything. So you are everywhere. What was that uh, movie, Lucy? Those who haven't seen it, go see it. And while you're there, all you do is you decide where you're going to focus to be present. You're everywhere, but you decide where you focus to be present. Am I going to be focused to be present dying with him? Am I going to be focused now? So when I, I take my attention away from dying, I haven't left there. I'm still there. But I'm focusing on the next resurrection, dying, buried raised with him, sitting with him at right. So all I'm doing, I'm everywhere at the same time, but all I'm doing is I'm focusing on a specific aspect to experience it, to experience it. So I'm dying with him, and guess what I'm dying to? The Bible says in Galatians 3.13, all the curses, all of them, 
I've died to all the curses. Isaiah 54 says, the curses, if they do come, they're not from me. Does it say that? Yeah, yeah, go have a look at it. And then, I'm going to be raised up with him. Now, when the Bible talks about, what is the aspect of getting raised up with him? Being born again, becoming a new creation. That's it. That's resurrection. Nothing else. Then, I'm raised up with him and I go to heavenly places. What happens there? That's where I receive the inheritance. Because that's where God gave it to Jesus. Now let me read you Isaiah 54. Because this is, man, this is it. If we grasp Isaiah 54, that it's got nothing to do with you, but only this is, this is what's happening. This is the transaction that's happening between God and Jesus. Look what it says. For the Lord, he says, has called you as a woman forsaken. This is talking about God the Father is speaking to Jesus. Okay? And grieved in spirit and a wife of youth when you were refused, says your God, for a small moment I forsaken you. When did God forsake Jesus? When he went to the cross. Remember? And it was darkness, supernatural darkness. Why did he forsake? Because he took all of the sin of the world, past, present, and future. That's eternity. Went, and it was went. Uh, um, and it was poured on him. It was rushed, the, the, the Hebrew says, on him. He says, for a small moment have I forsaken you, in verse 7. But notice, with great mercies. It was just a small moment. But with great mercies, I will gather you. In a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. Why? Because he poured all of the penalty and the punishment for the entire world, all the from Adam all the way to the, the last person who will ever be. He took all that, he says, and he put the punishment, he says, on Jesus. In a little rather, I hid my face from you for a moment, but notice, with everlasting kindness. Hey? Everlasting kindness not for a period of time i'm going to be kind to you everlasting kindness now tell me are you in jesus or not what is jesus what is god saying to you in jesus everlasting kindness will i have mercy on you says the lord your redeemer Says this to Jesus. Um, let's go to the next thing. For this, now this is what I've done to you, Jesus, God the Father is saying, is like the waters of Noah to me. I'm going back and I'm remembering something. For in the same manner, the way I did it back with Noah, in the same manner, it reminds me, I'm doing it to you. 
For as I have sworn that the waters should no more go over the earth or cover the earth. It happened once, I poured it, and that's it. It reminds me what I'm doing to you, Jesus. Exactly the same thing. That's what God the Father is saying. That I would not be wrath, anger with you, nor rebuke you. Now, let me go, he says, a little bit further, Jesus. For as the mountains can depart and the hills will be removed, my kindness shall not depart from you. Is that in the Bible? Neither will the covenant of my peace be removed, says the Lord that has mercy on you, Jesus. So all these things has been done. He says, just a, it reminds me of that. I will never have the same kind of delusion that took place back at the time of, of Noah, and I made a promise. And what was the promise? He says, I put a rainbow for everybody to know, never again. I'm telling you, Jesus, never again there will be any wrath, there will be any anger, there will be, why? Because it's all been paid. Do you understand it's all been paid? From now on, Jesus, I'm only going to be kind to you. And tell me, Jesus, who did you do, who, excuse me, who did you did that for? Just for some, the elect, or who did you did it? For everybody you did it. So from God's side, God is pouring, pouring kindness and mercy to the whole world. How about you that you've decided to be in Jesus? In Jesus, you've got absolutely full security. So where do these people get, God is testing me, God is allowing this, God is trying to do this, he's trying to teach me through this, he puts me into hospital so that I can witness to the guy next door or to the bed, whatever. Where, where do people get that from? Well, it's definitely not in the word of God. Okay? Never. Now, the covenant of peace that God is going to be, was made with Jesus. It wasn't made with you. Because when you fail, this guy, Jesus, was raised from the dead, your Savior, your Redeemer, was raised from the dead, and the contract has been ratified. Nobody can change it. God can't go back and change anything. Do you understand that? Do you understand what God has done to you to be able to to put you into a place called Jesus where you can keep on continuously experiencing life. Now you understand when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Because that's where you find it only. So, 
If that has happened, then Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says the following. That if you are going to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And notice, you're going to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, we think, as I also used to think, this is a one-time experience. I come, uh, say the prayer of uh, salvation quickly, boom, 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 boom. You say, you believe? Yes, yes. Okay, great. Now, you believe he's raised? Just say it. He was raised from the dead? Yes? Okay, now you're saved. Next. No, no, no. This is a continuous thing. It never stops. Because notice what it says. You have to believe it in your heart. Do you know how long it takes to believe something in, in someone's heart? Well, Abraham, it took him 25 years. Because your heart needs persuasion. Your heart, you keep going and you're saying, hold on. Have I believed this aspect of Jesus, of his, for example, his burial, that he died? Do I believe this in this area in my heart? The area of finances, the area of relationship, the area about my physical body. Do I believe it? No. I need to convince and persuade my heart that that is so. And once I do, I will experience the breath inside of me, which is his grace, his power on that specific area of my life. So I need to believe in every area of my life. Bring my heart to believe it, that he was raised from the dead in that specific. And that's your journey. Your journey is to let go of the sense of who you are. And every day as you're spending time and time in your heart with the Lord Jesus, you begin to lose the sense of who you are and you begin to pick up the sense of who he is. And that's what the Bible calls we becoming one. One with a sense of who he is. Because once now I begin to change and experience in my heart the sense of who he is, then, listen, then partaking of his inheritance is not an issue. We can't partake of his inheritance because we don't have his sense of who he is. His resurrection we keep on trying to put the cart before the horse. I mean, Jesus, I got born again. Now teach me how to have all of these promises. No. Teach you how to become one with him in your heart. Then your heart will become confident to partake of what you already have. Close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you that as the hearts become open, they will begin to experience your reality, 
Jesus, I thank you that you've baptized each and every one into the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the ones that giving them day by day as they spend time in their hearts, wisdom and understanding and clarity. You are the light in the path of called Jesus. And I thank you that as each and every person here make that decision to make this internal journey to unearth and uproot that old sense of who they are, who they believe themselves to be, and to make that journey daily to experience who they already are in, in you, Jesus. And I thank you that their prayer life will change, their worship life will change. Everything will change because of what they experience in their own hearts. Is there anybody here today? You don't have to come up front. Just with a show of hands, who would like to make this journey? We've just, you've just had enough of the decisions that you've made in your own personal life. Because when you start comparing Jesus came to give me the abundant life to where your life is now, you say, well, it just doesn't match. If there's anybody here, just put up your hand. That's all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit empowerment inside of them. Thank you that they are able to make their journey and they can influence their closest people, their loved ones. As they change, they become more loving, more merciful and more kind and more patient because they're spending time with you and the way that you treat them, their heart changes and they begin to treat others in their workplace, their community and their friends. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. After we have now, <clears throat> obviously, you, you'll go out and have coffee, and I'm sure we've got eats and that. But if anybody needs help, and anybody needs prayer or something, you can come up here and, you know, we can talk and can speak to Didi, myself, or Bash, or whoever's going to be here, and then we can, we can help you. Amen. Thank you for being here. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see you again. God bless.